In the early morning hours of November 20th, 1987, several citizens and a snowplow driver that was clearing the roads within Newton, Connecticut, they were in the area and they recalled seeing a man, kind of a medium build, dark hair, Caucasian, and he was operating a wood chipper alongside of the road. Now, to some, like this may not seem odd, but he was outside in the freezing cold and it was like three to four in the morning. Not odd at all. Right? (laughs) I do that. That's strange. Yeah, right. It's 62 (laughs) in my house and I'm dying. So a few people had made contact with this man and he was later identified as Richard Kraft. So when confronted by the snowplow driver, Richard said that he was disposing of trees that had fallen on his property during a snowstorm two days earlier. But like at three in the morning, Richard? On the side of a road. <laughs> the driver was a little confused as to why this man would be alongside of the road, but he kind of just brushed it off and kept plowing down the road. But he never forgot that man's face. Richard Kraft was married to a beautiful Danish woman by the name of Heli Kraft. She was so pretty, you guys. Check her out on our social media, Those Murder Girls Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram. Heli worked as a Pan Am flight attendant. The two had met in 1969 at a convention in Miami. At this time, Heli had been training to be a flight attendant, and Richard was there for some flight school. Richard and Heli hit it off right away, but her stunning beauty and her love for Richard and her family would never be enough for him. Heli had suspicions that Richard had been cheating on her at all different points in their relationship. So the two had spent a lot of time apart from each other due to their careers. She was a flight attendant and he was a pilot. I don't know if I could be a flight attendant constantly traveling like that and have like a relationship. That would just be a lot of stress. You would never see each other. Yeah. Well, as if that's not demanding enough, Richard was also a part-time police officer for quite some time during their relationship. So again, because of their crazy schedules and the nonstop travel, Heli and Richard had decided that they were going to hire a nanny to help them raise their three children. They had a little girl named Christina and two little boys named Andrew and Thomas. So they hire a nanny by the name of Dawn Marie Thomas. She was brought in to live with the family in 1986. At this time, she's only 19 years old and she's totally new to the Newtown, Connecticut area. Which is beautiful, by the way. I've never been there. I, I don't know. I was Googling it earlier. Oh, I want to go. <laughs> I'm I want like, you no. We vacation there? <laughs> I want to go see it. This just looks stunning. You guys are lucky you live there if you live in Connecticut. So November 18th, 1986, Heli arrived home after a shift that took her from here in the U.S. to Germany and then back. So a huge snowstorm hit Newton that night and Heli was so relieved and happy to have made it home since the weather was just so intense. And a short time after arriving home, the power was lost in a very large part of the city. So the Kraft family, they were good. They were home together. It was nighttime. They were going to be going to bed. So, like, the power outage didn't really affect them. Yeah, they'll just, like, sleep through it. Yeah. So, and when the morning time, when it came around, super out of character, Richard quickly gathers up the kids and the nanny, like, literally as soon as they got out of bed. Like, like, sweeps them all together. Let's go, everybody. Get in the car. We're going to my sister's house. Like, okay. So, he said it was because she had power and the craft home still did not have power at that time. Now, not having power was not like a new thing for the crafts. They've lived through these outages before. And the kids and the nanny were like, okay, like Richard wants us to go to the sisters. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll just go. 
So as they're driving away, Dawn, the nanny, turns to Richard and says, where's Helly? Like, why is she not coming with us? So Richard tells um, everybody in the car that Helly had woken up super early in the morning and she had to go back to work. Now, Dawn was like, what the heck? She literally just got back from that long trip to Germany and back. It didn't make any sense to anybody. I love this girl, by the way. Yeah, (laughs) she's on it. (laughs) Dawn knows what's up. So off they went to Richard's sister's house. And after dropping off the kids and the nanny, Richard drove back home. So later the day, later in that day, the power was back on at the house. So Richard goes back to his sister's, loads everybody up in the car, and then returns home. Like like nothing. Back to home. So now on November 20th, coworkers of Helly's are super worried about her because she was the only one who didn't report for her shift that day. They give her a little bit of time because, you know, there's been some weather and she doesn't show up to work. Nothing. So one of Helly's coworkers walks over, picks up a phone, and gives her a call at home. Well, Richard answers the phone, and he tells them that, like, oh, I just hung up with Helly. She actually had to make an emergency trip to Denmark because her mother was, like, super ill. Now, Helly's mother is her best friend, and everybody knows that. So her coworkers 100% believe Richard's story, and they, amongst themselves, are like, okay, like, you know, She had to make this emergency trip. We have no reason to not believe him. All is good. So on the call, Richard had also given this information to the coworker. He was like, yeah, she went to the airport. She parked her car in the parking lot. I know that she like rushed in. She caught an emergency like last minute flight and she just jammed. He's like, I'm so sorry she didn't notify you guys, but she'll be back in a couple of days. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Isn't that kind of a red flag? Wouldn't he be like... Oh, you know, I'm sure she's gonna call you when she arrives. Yeah, and they work at the airport. They would. They so can somebody see would the have seen her. Yeah. I wonder why they didn't look her name up. Okay, I'm getting off track. I need to get back on track. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, um, her coworkers they go outside into the parking garage and they or the parking lot, and they see her car there. So they go on with their shift. You know, do what they have to do, but days turn into nights and into new days, and the car is still parked there. Which wasn't too concerning. I mean, after all, her mother's sick, right? So, like, she might not have had a return flight yet. They didn't know really the duration she would be gone. Exactly. But the red flag was that Helly had never called in to let her managers know what was going on. So, they all became super worried about her days in. And all of her other friends also started to worry about her. So not only is this not something that Helly would ever do, but it's this along with something that Helly recently told her friends, which is what got them super worried. Helly had told her closest friends in confidence, if anything ever happens to me, don't think it was an accident. That is a direct quote. And I'm going to repeat that to you. (laughs) If anything ever (laughs) happens to me, it was not an accident. Oh my gosh. So Richard and Helly's relationship appeared to be picture perfect from the outside. But, you know, as they say, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. And by what she confided to her friends, her relationship with her husband was far from perfect. So Richard had cheated on Helly throughout pretty much their entire relationship. I don't think he was really ever faithful. She knew of at least some of these affairs, but she always forgave him and they just moved forward. I mean, you know, they have the kids, they're a family, and I think maybe Helly just wanted this picture-perfect life, even though it wasn't. 
So, well, when Helly had her suspicions that Richard might have been cheating again, she checked their phone records. And she sees that there are tons of calls to a number that she doesn't have any record of. You know, Mm -hmm. like, who is this person? So, just being sick and tired and not wanting to deal with any more arguments with Richard again, she hires a divorce lawyer to, you know, help her figure everything out, finally get this divorce, get away from Richard... So three months before Helly goes on this mysterious trip to Denmark that nobody knows about except for Richard, <laughs> she retains an attorney by the name of Diane Anderson. So Diane tells Helly that even though she has this gut is that telling her that Richard's cheating in order to kind of have an open shut case divorce, she should hire a PI to confirm, you know, her suspicions. So Helly, she's totally down with this idea. And soon after, unbeknownst to Richard, private investigator Keith Mayo is on his ass, trailing him. And very soon after Keith began watching Richard, he had photos, full proof of Richard making out with some random woman. Oh. Right. Which was just what Helly needed to divorce his ass. Like signed, sealed, delivered, photos, black and white. Everything. By Richard. Boom. So Helly was obviously, I mean, devastated, super upset that her suspicions were confirmed. And I think, too, you know, she just kept forgiving him so many times before. So with a broken heart, Helly tells Diane she's ready for the divorce papers to be filed. Like, she's done done this time. Good girl. So Helly confronts Richard and she hands him the divorce papers just knowing that he's never going to change. So the time leading up to this, Helly's super on edge about serving Richard because she knows that he has this crazy explosive temper. But she talks herself into it and she does exactly what she needs to do. So when she serves Richard, he just like looks at him and he's like, whatever, like (laughs) I'm not signing him. Literally did not bat an eye. So on one, you know, side, Helly's super relieved, but she cannot help but wonder why he's so calm. Especially if she knows that he has that type of temper. She knows him better than anybody. Oh. Yeah. It's like brewing inside of him. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, I'm not signing those papers. And Helly's pleading with him and Richard's like, nope, not going to do it. Mm. So Helly's super devastated. And to make matters worse, they were going to have to continue to live together. And obviously, things would never be the same. So it's three months after this. Helly would take that mysterious trip and her car would be abandoned in the airport parking lot as her friends just kept watch on it, waiting for her to return. And that if that's not a red flag, first of all... Yeah, I would call this here. Like, why is there a car still parked here? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. But you have to remember what Richard told everybody was that she's caring for her mother, mm-hmm. who's her best friend. So, you know, nobody's going to be like, dude, she needs to hurry up and get back to work. Yeah. Right? So Richard seemed to be the only one that was not worried about Helly um, not reporting to work or not coming back from, quote, her mother's house. Richard was getting phone calls from everybody, her friends, her family, other coworkers. And as he talked to each person, the story about Helly being with her sick mother in Denmark began to completely unravel. So Richard, again, told some of the coworkers, oh, she's in Denmark. She's taking care of her mom. He told other coworkers he didn't know where she was at. He told other people that she was in the Canary <laughs> Islands with a friend Richard bro that's not even like the same flight path Richard right 
So, and when people were like, oh, well, who's this friend that she's in the islands with? He said that he didn't know. He wasn't able to give them a name. So, Helly's friends were like, fuck this, whatever Richard's saying. Like, you know, we're done with him. And they went on this mission to find her, but hoping and praying they'd just be able to find her safe. So, one of her friends is a total badass back in the 80s and is able (laughs) to hunt down her mom's phone number. So she calls Helly's mom and is completely shattered when Helly's mom answers the phone and is like, no, Helly's not here. And I actually haven't even talked to her in like two weeks, Mm. which now is the exact amount of time that Helly's been missing. So obviously her friends are like completely just like punched in the gut with the realization that everything that they've been feeling about something being wrong is very wrong. Mm. And Helly's words come back to haunt them that if something happened to her, it wasn't, wasn't an accident. accident. So finally, two weeks after, you know, anyone's seen Helly, she's officially reported missing by her friends. Not by Richard. Not by Richard? No, by her okay. friends. And after two weeks, that's very odd. So they start telling the cops literally everything that they had been told by Richard. Police ask Richard, where's your wife? So he tells them one of his many stories he concocted that... He had no idea. He's like, I haven't seen her since November 19th. She left home with all of her bags. Oh, my God. And now police already know that the stories he had been telling to the other people. So if you don't know where she is, like, maybe just stop making up stories about where she is, Richard. Right. What's wrong with just saying, I don't know. Yeah. Because he's a fucking liar. Yeah. He's not making any sense. So... Um, he tells then then he tells the cops she didn't want to be with me. I didn't know what to say. I was upset. I just didn't want to talk to anybody like about what was truly going on. Mm. This is, he's just crumbling. So as police are going through Helly's records and interviewing her friends and family, obviously they want to rule Richard out as as a suspect. So officers ask if he is down to take a lie detector test. So he does. He goes down, takes the lie detector test, and guess what? Shockingly, he passes. Oh, my God. Yeah. He passes the lie detector test. Well, thank God those tests aren't admissible in court. (laughs) (laughs) So the records that the police were combing through of Helly's show, like, no activity, no phone calls, no usage of cards, nothing, which obviously we all know that's not a good sign. No. So Helly and Richard's nanny, Dawn, goes down to the police department because she wants to let them know what she's witnessed and her suspicions of Richard. Dawn is the real MVP. She is. (laughs) She starts off by telling the police that on November 19th, the morning that the power was out, Richard had strangely and with all this urgency cleared everybody out of the family home. And this whole time she hasn't been able to shake like how weird that was. And the more and more she thinks about it, it's just it's just not sitting right. So she kind of starts to think in her own mind like, oh, my God, was Helly dead in the house that morning? And Richard didn't want any of us to like come across Mm. her body. Another thing that was bothering her was that there was a freezer in the garage that Richard had just purchased a few days before the 19th. And on the 19th, it was missing. Oh, she's a little investigator herself. Yeah. And when they (laughs) went back to the house, obviously, like, it never reappeared. So the police were like, okay, like, obviously, this guy is hiding something because there's just too many coincidences, like, in this case. Well, the police were super frustrated because as much as they suspected that Richard had something to do with Helly's disappearance, they just didn't have the evidence to support any of it yet. 
Mm. So at this point in the investigation, the PI that Helly had hired for her divorce was now actively involved in her disappearance. So he was actually the one that urged the police to not let this case grow cold. He was like, I know this guy has something to do with Helly's disappearance. He and the police just had to like keep digging into Richard's life everywhere, where he had been, you know, who he had talked to, what did he purchase leading up to the days, all those parts to, you know, solve the crime. So the purchase records show that on November 18th, Richard had gone to a local U-Haul facility. He rented a truck and he also rented a wood chipper from a yard in town. Police and friends had interrogated Richard pretty good in the days before and after Helly went missing. And not once did this guy ever mention anything about renting a wood chopper, wood chipper or a truck. Like those are pretty, I don't know, maybe big factors. Totally. Yeah, (laughs) I could see that. Yeah. So it's significant and especially significant to an investigator. So armed with this information about the truck and the chipper, on Christmas Day, police make their way into the craft home and they're searching for any evidence that Helly had A, left on her own, or B, you know, tragically been killed or hurt or taken from the home against her will. Like, so just anything to anything. them. So when they arrived at the house, they realized that Richard and the kids are gone. Richard had taken them to Florida for a vacation during the holiday. While my wife is missing. Right? Just going to hop. Come on, guys. Just get on a plane and let's, let's just go. go. Maybe we'll run into mommy somewhere. <laughs> Maybe she's down there. God. <laughs> so police shuffle through this total mess of a house. It was literally flipped upside down. Like everything was out of place, scattered everywhere. There was like missing pieces of flooring objects in the house that had clearly been charred inside of their fireplace. It looked like a place for squatters is how people described it. Mm. It wasn't until they flip over this displaced mattress that they find like in the house somewhere that they see blood, what they believe is blood splatter on the backside of. So forensics was able to determine that it was blood splatter. The splatter belonged to a woman and that it was a type O blood, which is the same type of blood as Helly's. Uh So finally, the police have something that they can go on, even though it's not much because the blood could have technically belonged to any woman with typo blood. And obviously we know that DNA wasn't close to what it is today. So with this information, the cops still have like this huge job ahead of them. Yeah. Where is she? So television news stations began to broadcast Helly's disappearance night and day. This caught the attention of the local snowplow driver, Joe Hine, the one at the beginning of the story, you guys. So he contacts police to tell them about a man that was using a wood chipper in the late hours of November 18th and the early morning hours of November 19th. He was like, it was storming um, really bad. This guy was feeding something that he said was fallen trees from his property through a wood chipper. But Joe was like, I found it really odd because... He was in the area plowing when he witnessed um, Richard do this. But Richard was moving from one location to another, feeding these, quote, trees through the chipper and into Lake Zor. So detectives, they're like, what the hell? Armed with this, they jammed down to the area of the lake that Joe described seeing Richard at. And as them and the crime scene techs comb through the area, they begin to find what, I mean, they have no choice but to believe what's left of hell. 
Helicraft's body. Mm. You guys, they are finding tiny bits and pieces of her body. Like, can you even imagine? Poor thing. So they come up with a toe nail, and it was painted pink, which also matched a bottle of nail polish from her bathroom. Her fingertip, chips of bones, and over 2,000 strands of hair, type O blood splatter, and a crown from her tooth, another tip of a human finger, and there was some green fabric. All of this was among like a billion wood chips. It's straight out of Fargo. (laughs) Oh my God. So the search to find the pieces of evidence that... Uh, Marie just mentioned it took them days you guys and like what they were finding were these itty bitty pieces you know of things so what remained of the once gorgeous heli craft was only three ounces of her body that is all that they were able to recover amongst all of those wood chips and also at the scene investigators found all of these itty bitty shreds of paper like all over the place at the bottom of the lake divers were able to retrieve a chainsaw that had the serial number obviously scraped off of it on that chainsaw they found human tissue and hair strands attached to it so with those itty bitty pieces of paper crime scene detectives were able to piece it all together or what they were able to piece together was actually a letter to Helly from her mother. So Helly was known to wear her favorite green nightgown and it had pockets. So it's believed that the night that Richard murdered her, Helly was wearing this light green nightgown and the letter from her mom was in one of her pockets. Mm. I know. And a side note, I totally forgot to say this earlier. If this whole story doesn't scream guilty asshole to you guys, (laughs) during that dive search of the lake, Richard looks over at his brother-in-law because apparently they were both present and he tells his brother-in-law, let them search. There's no body. It's gone. Mm. Wow, Richard, that's a powerful statement. Right? And you have nothing to do with anything. She's in Denmark still. God. So back to that chainsaw again really quick. So whoever owned it obviously had filed the serial number off of it for some reason. But lucky for police, whoever did that did a super shitty job and the police were actually able to recover the full serial number. They trace it back to the store that it was purchased from and back to Richard's credit card because he is the motherfucker who bought it. Stupid criminal. Mm. Oh, my God. Finally, the cops have the evidence that they needed to charge Richard with the murder, and they charged him on January 13th, 1987, to which he pleads not guilty. Oh, good. Yeah. Here we go. So the trial was moved to New London, Connecticut in May of 1988. Many of Helly's loved ones gave testimonies at the trial, including her mother and Don, the family nanny. Prosecutors told the jury a tale of a bitter husband not wanting to go through a divorce. They said Richard refused to sign the divorce papers, even though they there were points in their relationship that Richard, you know, wasn't cheating. Like, I didn't cheat on her all the time, just a <laughs> few times. So Richard was very controlling and he wanted Helly to be his devoted, loving, caring wife All while he pretty much just did whatever he wanted. So he wanted the picture-perfect family. Yeah, it's kind of a weird reverse thing there. So being this explosive guy, Richard, the prosecutors, they were rolling out their theory of what they think happened to Helly that night. 
So they believe that she was hit over the head with a blunt object, which splattered the blood on the mattress that was found in the house. Once she was dead, or at least unable to move, Richard then put her body into the freezer, which, by the way, guys, has never been found to this day. Mm. He then dismembers her body with a chainsaw, the chainsaw that they recovered from the bottom of the lake, and fed her through the wood chipper. That's brutal, dude. Straight brutal. Mm-mm. So the first of his two trials end in a hung jury after 17 days of deliberation. That's a long time. 17 days. There was one juror that was <sighs> unable to determine that Richard was guilty of Helly's murder. So Richard went to trial the following year in a Norwalk courtroom. He sat for about two and a half months and he was finally found guilty. Ding, ding. <laughs> after eight hours of deliberation. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison. This is the first case in Connecticut to end in a guilty verdict without a body. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing to really find of her. No. And fun fact, this is the very first episode of Forensic Files. And I watched it. Hell yeah. (laughs) Upon Richard's release in August of 2019, that's right, guys, he is on the streets. He was sent to a halfway home, having served 30 of his 50-year sentence. Bullshit. Yeah. So now he's about 84 years old, and he's living in a homeless shelter for veterans, which personally pisses me off. I'm a veteran myself. As a veteran. Thank you for your service, Marie. Thank you. Pisses me off, too. So infuriating. There are so many veterans that are worthy of housing, assistance, support. Yeah. All of that. And it's being wasted. On this motherfucker. On Richard. Who's probably going to live until he's 105. Yeah. The disrespect. Ugh. So, you guys, this is the case of beautiful Helicraft. If you enjoyed today's story in a morbid way, mm-hmm. <laughs> please head over to wherever you're listening to us now and leave us a five-star review. And don't forget, check us out on social media. You can find us on... Those Murder Girls Podcast on Instagram, Facebook... And wherever else you want to go, wherever you want to go, Google us. <laughs> and we added our PO box recently to our uh, website, so that's on there too. If you guys want to send us some letters, Marie wants fan mail. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I go and I check our mailbox, and I'm always like, "There's going to be some good letters in here this week." <laughs> so send it to us, please. <laughs> we want to read it. I hope you all have a safe weekend. Uh, we have some bloody birthdays dropping. Keep a lookout for those, and we'll see you all next Friday. Bye, Bye, guys. guys.